Today's episode of The Aggressive Life has adult themes and adult content. That was pretty, that's pretty intense. Very. That was very intense. Surprises? You have any surprises? Like, uh... I was surprised at, at, at how uh, candidly he could talk about it. Honestly, I think I, I expected him to uh, compartmentalize it so much that he couldn't be eloquent about it. Yeah, at, as mean, a coping mechanism. But he was very, very candid. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. Know, I'm curious how much you edit out of this. What, what do you What do you think you're going to edit out? I don't want to edit much. Honestly. So my, my thought is just, let's just try something new. Just for this episode, let's do the reactions that you and I had after the conversation. Let's put them on the front end. Oh, let's roll okay. this in the front and then do my official okay. introduction. All right. let's, okay. let's just try, try new, let's aggressively try new things. Great. Yeah, and let's I'm just up for trying new things. tell people we're going to talk about having a needle in your dick. That's what uh, yeah. it sticks out the most, I think. <laughs> Like, that sounds terrible. Uh, it does, but you're going to have to watch this episode as to why that's the appropriate thing to say right now or listen to this episode. So let's start going. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. I'm Brian. Great to be with you today. I think you're going to have a lot of fun today. Dirt, I'm going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to have some fun today. I'm going to have we a are. lot of fun today. You know, uh, you need some good news. I think we all need good news. I'm sick of the bad news. Enough of the bad news. No matter where you find yourself, there's hope, and it's never too late for your life to change. In fact, you might just be one aggressive move away. And maybe our guest today, gosh, is the epitome of making an aggressive move. His name is Joshua Broom. At the age of 22, he was getting attention as a model, and then he reluctantly decided to take his career in a little different direction and appear in a pornographic film. And he told himself it was going to be a one-time deal. He'd get a paycheck to pay his bills and then move on to something else. And well, you know what? Six years later, Joshua was still caught in the world when he'd appeared in 1,000 films. He was a millionaire, a star of the industry, and even recognized with adult film awards. But... He felt empty inside. He was estranged from those we loved, and he contemplated suicide. Looks like the end of the line. But then he had this really crazy encounter with a bank teller out of nowhere that ended up starting to turn things around. Today, we're going to be with Joshua. He's married, father of three, all kinds of interesting stuff happening in him and his story of recovery and redemption. Joshua Brooms, welcome to the aggressive life. I love it. I mean, I I'm a, an '80s baby, so like the WWF Ultimate Warrior, the old school NBA introductions. I'm all about it. Thank you so much for uh, the intro. Uh, it's awesome, awesome to have you with us. This is going to be. I, I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to I'm going to ask you questions that I've always wanted to ask someone like you. And I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna ask you questions everybody else would like to ask too. So this is gonna be this is gonna be a lot of fun. So first of all, just tell us like because we got a lot of folks who are like, yeah, pornography, no big deal. What's the big deal? What uh, what, what do you think are the dangers 
of pornography. And I just want to kind of level set this before we get into some really fun questions. I just want to make sure that people get on the same page. At least if they don't agree, they at least understand where, where you're coming from. So what, what's, what's the danger of pornography? Yeah, I mean, from a consumer standpoint, you're ultimately buying into a counterfeit reality. When you watch pornography, you're A, you're robbing people of their human dignity because when you, when you use a person like a product, you start to see them as such. And then that carries over into very real areas of your life. It impacts your integrity and it, it impacts um, the level of your um, commitment to relationships because if you are geared to consume, the moment that someone can't do something for you and meet a need, all of a sudden you stop showing up. So um, it, and it's a gateway drug. It's just, if you look at statistics, I mean, Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter, if you combine all three of those, that's how much porn is being consumed on a daily basis. And 30% of all internet traffic on a daily basis is pornography. So it's astronomical, this, uh, you know, this beast that we're looking at, and it's really impacting people. It's causing uh, divorces. It's causing rape. It's fueling sex trafficking. Um, it, it's in a very real way causing depression, causing suicide. And these, all, these things are backed by science. This is like absolute yes. yes. Like I have a Christian worldview, and we can talk about how um, it's detrimental to someone who has devoted their life to Jesus and how it is very different and what Jesus says is best for our life. But if you want stats, there's a multitude of them saying that, Porn is destructive to relationships, it's destructive to individuals, and not only that, it's, it's, it's a catalyst for violence. Some of the anecdotal things that I'm seeing and aware of is if you talk to uh, sex therapists, at least I've talked to one, and yeah. uh, well, not for my own personal dysfunctions, not for my, just had her on the podcast, had her on the podcast, not that I need any help sexually, not that I do, um, everything's good, but nonetheless, we had her on the podcast a while ago, she said her number one client was 20-something males, young males, and yeah. because they can't, they can't perform, when they actually get with a real woman, they can't perform because they've got... Um, I don't mean performing videos. I mean, they can't get an erection because right. they're afraid they can't live up to what they've seen in the past. And we see, yes. we're seeing women, young men as well. And I assume this is the case with women. I just don't spend this much time talking these matters with women, which is probably appropriate. Men are having their brains actually rewired, rewired yeah. neurochemically to then when they're with an actual woman, it, it's not doing it. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a biologist that won a Nobel Prize for this research, and the research was around this topic of a supernatural stimulus. And this supernatural stimulus, he took butterflies, um, he took a female, and he made a model of it. But he made it bigger, brighter, um, just, um, just a better version of the female butterfly. And the male butterflies tried to mate with that female butterfly that was fictitious, and they kept going back time and time again. And all of a sudden, that species started to you know, dissipate in number, and the, the males became aggressive. And that's very much how pornography is, because when you are um, craving or you're insatiable for this thing that you want to consume, and then the reality is it's not real, that there's editing that goes behind this. The, these people have been Photoshopped. There's plastic surgery and, and the things that they're doing, um, you know, they're being told to do them and they might not actually 
you know, be pleasurable. So when you are pursuing this thing that you can't really obtain, that is, you know, the the byproduct of that is erectile dysfunction. It is frustration. It is depression because what you're seeing is like, you know, uh, an amazing fight scene. Like you see the fight scene from Inception in the elevator. There's no way that you think that that happened just like, you know, like that on the first take. There was, you know, there was choreography that went behind that. There was multiple cameras. There were cuts. There were edits. There were things interjected that weren't really there. So in in a very real way, that's what you're watching. You're watching something that is, you know, boxed and edited and, you know, made for you to be enticed because that's what it is. It's it's a very polluted and perverted form of entertainment, and it's not real. What What, what is the choreography on a porn set? It's not just uh, you and the female actress just having having sex for them to film. What, what, what What's the process looking like? Yes. I mean, uh of the times a a guy is taking some kind of erectile dysfunction medication. Um, In my case, uh, you know, some of the directors, they would really push for you to use Caverjack. So Caverjack is um, an injectable. So it it traps blood in those, in the two caverns of your penis. And, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's whether you're, you know, flying a kite or you're having sex, like, you know, you have an erection and then the girls are using lubrication and then you don't really have a conversation. You don't have a conversation with the girl leading up to it. Mm. You come in and sign paperwork, and then the director's like, okay, come into set. And then it happens. And the whole time it's happening, the director is telling you what to do. And then, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, multiple cameras, there's a sound guy, there's, you know, there's a, a production assistant, you know, in the corner eating Doritos. It's, it's humiliating. It's, it's, it's humor. It's, it's, it's funny to look back on, but like you're exposed to a level where it's not only not intimate, you're not even there. Hmm. So you, you're, there's two people that believe the lie that because they did it one time, they have to do it over and over again because they don't see a future. And then they see themselves as a product. It's like I'm a product to be sold and there's no other value that I have. So I'm showing up to do this thing that I believe is the only way that I can provide value. So I'm showing up to do a task. That's a job. It's not an intimate moment that I'm going to get pleasure from. It's something that I have to do to show up because I can't do anything else and I have to do it right or I'll get fired by that director and I won't have an opportunity. I won't have a job. And more often than not, that's why many people, when they age out at 30, when girls are you know aged out of the industry, they look at their life and it's like, I've been told over and over again, this is the only worth that I have. This is the only thing that I can do. I've been blackballed by society in in some constructs because people are telling me, you'll never get married. No one will ever take you seriously. No one's going to want you because this is going to be on the internet forever. So you look at your life and you're like, what am I to do? So you either stay in the industry and some girls like, they try to like, keep like stripping or or doing something in that industry, like in the, in the, in the umbrella of sex work until they can't anymore. And then 30 people, 30 people who I know their first and last name, their real first and last name. I knew them take, they've, they've taken their lives. They've taken their lives, um, you know, over the last 10 years since I've been out of the industry. So you're saying when you're on set, 
going at it. It's a very, not clinical, it's just a very, uh, well, factory-like setting where you're producing a product. Are you saying that even though you're having an orgasm eventually, it's not pleasurable while you're on set for, for the actors? Yeah. There's, there's a level of that, but, I mean, anything that you would love doing, if I told you you had to do it in a way where it's not for you, it's for the viewer. So there's a camera there. So the reality of that, mm. so if you've ever like, you know, I've got young kids, you know, it's like there's a there's a reason that it's difficult to get a kid to smile on camera, right? Because it's not natural. It's not natural to look at a camera and smile. There's there's no catalyst for that smile. Like maybe there's, you know, there's this stranger trying to do whatever to get them to smile. But the reality is it's not a pleasurable because you're you're sitting there, you have to be positioned in a certain way because you are posing for the camera. The camera is not capturing what you're doing. So that's why um, you know, I've got young kids. More often than not, the, the only photo that we get, hey, kids, just run around or <laughs> tickle them or, you know, throw them in the air or something like that. And then, you know, if I, if the photographer takes 100 pictures, maybe they'll get a good one. But, you know, strange way, like that's a, a decent comparison of what's happening because you are performing for the camera, not for yourself or not even for the other person. The objective is not pleasure. The objective is to create a product that they can sell. So you're not waking up in the morning and say, hey, hey, I get to go to work today and I'm getting laid. I'm getting laid today multiple times by amazing people. This is going to be a great day. You're not doing that on a normal day of work. No, I, I'm, I'm going to work saying, well, if, if I don't do what I need to do, that director is never going to hire me again. Because the, as a guy, the whole show is, running, is uh, on your back because the director is footing the bill for uh, the studio, the shooting permit, the crew. Um, the, the, the female talent, the catering, that whatever else is going on, the director is putting the bill for all of that. And at the end of the day, if the guy doesn't do his job, then there's, there's, there's no content. There's nothing to use. Do his job as in maintain an erection. Yeah. You know, like, if you don't, you, you don't like start to finish, if you don't like provide a good, like whatever, like a scene or whatever, you're not going to get hired again. That's why it's so difficult for guys to get in the industry because a director is not going to trust you with. Twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars of his money is riding on you being able to do while you're there for. So that's why you see there's like 20, 25 guys in the industry that work over and over and over again. And then the girls, it's just like, you know, they're they're just trying to get them a new face, you know, it just in and out, in and out, in and out. I gosh, I'm I'm having massive empathy for you and people who are in your line of work like I haven't I haven't before. Not, I've always had empathy, care for people of all sorts of people, including the porn industry. But I don't think I've recognized the, um, yeah, the pressures of that job. That's, that's yeah. I mean, to to be to the point where it's like you're you're okay with you know sticking a needle in your member because that that's how you're going to make a paycheck mm. is a pretty you know is a is a pretty drastic difference than hey I'm excited to go have sex with this girl. It's a hundred percent a job, it's a hundred percent a task, and if you don't get it right, then all of a sudden you're not gonna get hired anymore. So you got a thousand films uh under your belt, pun intended. Thousand films under your belt. And uh at what point, like, is it film number one where you're thinking this is gonna be just crappy film number 50, film number 100. Like, what's the arc in terms of your understanding of what this could mean for the rest of your life and what you wanted for your life? Yeah, I mean, so for me, 
uh, I went out to LA. So I, I was in college for a few years. Um, I was studying theater and I thought if I put myself in closer proximity to the industry I wanted to be in, then, you know, it, it would, it would work out for me. And I moved out there and I got an agent and, and I was doing okay. I was not struggling for money or struggling for jobs or anything like that. And then these, these girls walk up to me and they're like, Hey, are you interested in acting? And I was like, yes. Um, you know, I thought they were going to point me to a casting director or maybe they're working on a project because more often than not, that's how people get their break. It's like you meet someone that knows someone and then they introduce you and, and that's how it works. But they were talking about porn. So they introduced me to their agent and I, you know, this agent says, Hey, you know, why are you here? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I just want to be an actor. I guess I want to be famous. And he's like, well, you know, there's not a ton of good looking guys in the industry. And it's like, if you have acting experience, the, the industry is shifting to this, um, you know, parroting movies and, and, uh, being, you know, these, these larger films. So it would be very advantageous for you to have an acting background because you'll be able to get all these lead roles. And it, it's it sounded good at the time, but in my gut, I knew that it was a counterfeit version of what I actually wanted to do. I knew that it was a compromise, but because of my lack of understanding myself, I said yes. I, I, I really didn't value or believe in myself. I thought, you know, I've been already at it um, for seven, eight years, so I'm like, maybe I'm never going to get my big break. And I said yes to that, and then immediately regretted it. And because I did one, and then get fired from you know, my mainstream agent because you know that's that's like null and void in the contracts like if you if you do something that the defames uh you know the the people who represent you in any way that they'll, they'll cut you off um and then very quickly you know i'm from a very small town in south carolina so word got through the grapevine very fast and all of a sudden my uncle knew and all of a sudden my, my mom knew and all of a sudden i'm having this really awkward conversation with my mom mm. and she's just you know so disappointed in me mm. and um so for me i was just like well By the I way how did, have, how did your uncle know i mean one of his buddies who watches porn told him or or him that's he i mean i don't know somehow yeah i mean i don't know the, i don't know the answer to it but i mean it was it was just one of those things that like the first the first film i did was on the most popular website at the time and it you know, it, it had uh, 500,000 views in the first, you know, week or so. And, and, you know, 2006, 2007, now, I mean, 500,000 views is like 5 million now, right. you know, that's massive. So it just, it was just everywhere. So I'm not sure I was just like, okay. Um, I could have said, okay, Josh, this was a terrible mistake. The modeling thing or the acting thing like this is just not going to work. You're going to have to make a pivot. You're going to have to do something else. Or um, when that phone rang and the agent said, hey, I want to sign you to a contract to the porn agent. It's like, hey, I want to sign you to a contract. That was the easy way out. The difficult way would have been like, okay, own own your mistake, pivot, do something else. Um, because I didn't have to say yes, but I did. So I, I said yes to the contract. It was weird from the jump. The girls are not like – super attractive there's not i mean it's like it's it's so different than people think it's like you're not there with someone it's like oh i'm like super attracted to this person um so it's like i'm 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 doing this stuff every day and i'm, I'm taking these erectile dysfunction pills and mm -hmm. it's like 
you know, it's, and I just feel like trash afterwards and, um, embarrassed about what I'm doing. You say the girls I, are not super attractive. You mean that just in terms of their personhood and their inner beauty? Because most of the ones that we see on screens, they're there because they're attractive, but they weren't attractive to you in the moment or what? Well, I mean, if you put enough makeup on someone and you shoot them in the right light, uh, you know, I mean, Got who it. knows how many ring lights have sold in the last five years? Because if you if you light someone correctly and you put a little makeup on them on, on camera, they're going to look great. But in reality, it that might not be the case. So, I mean, again, you're you're painting a lie like you're painting a fantasy that you want to portray that people want to be enticed by and, and partake in. So that, I mean, that's what you're doing. But the reality is it's not always like it seems and it's not. So I, I didn't really care for it right away, but I just kind of felt stuck in just anything I do. Uh, I just, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best. That's just kind of how my, my personality is. It's like um, e- even like growing up without a dad, I, I like my high achiever personality it made me believe like, okay, I have this inadequacy and I don't feel good enough and, and, you know, because of the situation with my father. So I need to prove my worth. I need to earn my validation. So I had to be the best in sports. I had to be the best when it comes to scholastics. I had to get the girl that no one else could. Um, I, I, I was like seeking after this momentary fulfillment of, you know, anything that could they could momentarily fill that gap in my heart. Did you have a girlfriend while you were in the industry or girlfriends while you were in the, in the industry? Yeah. I mean, like for the most part, you dated people who were in the industry. So oh. I, you know, hmm. I dated people in the industry and, and that actually was one of the worst things for my mental and emotional health because someone from the deep South growing up with, you know, single mom, my mom's gorgeous. Um, guys hitting on her. I, I remember, um, I don't really remember my mom tells me this story, like me, like throwing like a green bean can at someone, like trying to talk, you know, to my mom in a bylo or something. Um, but like growing up this jealous kid that was very insecure, then, you know, that didn't go away. Like just because I had notoriety and, and money and things like that, like I was still the same person inside. So when I'm dating this person and then I'm having sex for a living, she's having sex for a living. And we're sitting there pretending that we're in this monogamous relationship when in reality we're having sex with different people on a monthly basis. And then even worse, more often than not, your friends are also in that circle. So we're sitting there at dinner mm. with someone who had sex with my girlfriend and I mm. had sex with his girlfriend in the same week. And we're, tr- we're sitting there trying to pretend like it's okay. Man, it, it wrecked, it wrecked my head. And that was like one of the, one of the things that like, when I look back at like, when I really started to struggle with depression, it was around like I was in a, you know, somewhat serious relationship with someone who um, was equally as successful or even more so than me. And um, it, it was just like not a good place to be. What was the turning point for you? Yeah. So for about three months, I was wanting to quit. And, um, I had made some shifts in my life and just doing whatever I could to like, I started producing, I started directing, I started doing some other stuff, um, trying to just kind of separate me from being in the industry each and every day. Because if you're a popular guy in the industry, you're working like 20, 25, sometimes 30 times a month. Hmm. 
the fact that I did a thousand films in, in like a little bit less than six years, I mean, you do the math. You know, and, and, and the industry pretty much shuts down in, in uh, December and, and January because there's a there's an award show and there's a lot of promos, there's a lot of stuff that leads up to that. So like, you know, in 10 month increments, that's a lot, you know, pretty much shooting every day. Um, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I started pushing my family away because when you're living a life that you know that you shouldn't live, it's really hard to look someone in the eye that says, Joshua, I love you, but you're better than that. You would have people say that to you in, in your family. My mom. Yeah. Um, only my mom. I couldn't face my grandmother. I couldn't talk to her. I was just so humiliated by the way I was living. Did she know or did everyone keep that secret from her? I don't know for certain that she knew, but I assumed that she did. She knew that I was doing something that was not good. Um, she knew that I was doing something that was bad for me. Um, I was running with, you know, the wrong crowds, living very like less than so struggling with depression and then for about three months every time i would work i would i would make i would make a plan to take my life and i was i was like i didn't have the guts to like harm myself in a specific way so i was i was you know trying to figure that out one day i'd made a plan to 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 do it and for some reason it made sense to me to cash this check afterwards so I went into the bank and normally I would go to the ATM or the Dropbox because I wouldn't want to face a cashier because the memo on the check said what the what you know the title of the movie. Mm. Um, the ATM or the Dropbox was an option so I had to face the music. So I go to the cashier, slide it across, you know, slide the check across the, the thing, ask me if I had my account number, no, slide the card, whatever. And then um, she gives me my gives me my receipt and I and I go to walk away and she looks at me and she says, Joshua, are you okay? Joshua, can I do anything for you? And um, I was telling you that my mom kept saying that to me over and over again. You know, you, you, you I love you, but you're better than this. She kept telling me that and I ended up pushing her away and I and I stopped answering her texts. I stopped answering her calls. And I allowed all the people in my life just to call me my stage name. And um, I, so I hadn't heard my real name in uh, like over a year. So when that person said my name, it kind of like snapped me out of this plausible reality that was you know, constructed by lies and shame and just believing that's who I was. I believed without a, you know, without a doubt that my behavior was indicative of my identity. And in that moment, she just kind of snapped me out of that. And I just kind of felt the weight of me, you know, my mom who had me when she was 16 and fought for me to have a life that, you know, which I didn't really realize at the time. But, you know, we grew up like in government housing and stuff like that. And somehow I would always make it to basketball camp and all this. And it was because my mom was working 80 hours a week, you know, just feeling the weight of not answering the phone and when she just wanted to know that I was okay. Mm. Like she, she didn't need me to do anything. She just wanted to know I was okay. And I go and I call my mom and you know, we, we have this big tear filled conversation. And afterwards I think about it a little bit and look myself in the mirror and just have no clue who's looking back at me. And I pick up the phone and I call my agent and I tell him I quit. I call my PR person. I put out a press release and, just, you know, just run for the hills. But the, the story 
like didn't really stop there and drastically change because I, I quit doing porn, but I just tried to sweep it under the rug. Like I covered up my tattoos. I deleted my social media and that, and then on a one-off I'd gotten this like personal training, um, certification, this CrossFit coach certification. And I was like, okay, that's, that's all I got. So I'm going to apply to every gym in proximity to where my mom lives and hopefully I can get a job. I get a job at a gym and you know, I'm, I go from making, you know, $300,000 a year to, you know, cleaning bathrooms and, you know, outside doing some landscaping, uh, and then coaching a few classes a week. And I was just like, man, this, this, this is tough. This is the real world. Yeah. And, and then I naively believed that I could just leave that industry and then just like not worry about it ever again. But it was two or three days before it's like, aren't you, aren't you that guy? Aren't you mm. that guy? Aren't you that guy? Because I mean, the, the reality is, you know, porn is, is even more popular now. But back then, I just won Performer of the Year. Like I was just on Showtime winning, you know, Male Performer of the Year. And, you know, I'd done all these movies. So, um, you know, it, it, it was the beginning of, you know, people being popular on social media and things like that. Like Twitter was blowing up. And I was, you know, from the outside looking in, one of the most popular guys in the industry. So I was very recognizable. And that sucked for me because I believed like, oh, well, if I wasn't doing that anymore – that wouldn't go with me, but it wasn't true. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1, it's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a microhabit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some. And let's get back to the show. Man, you wonder that bank teller who, when she said, Joshua, how are you? Are you doing okay? Is there anything I could do for you? You heard your mom's voice. You wonder, talk about aggressive move. I just picture that woman has got a relationship with God and she feels the prompting of God to say something. And how often does a cashier say anything to you right. that's substantive, let alone when right. you're done with the transaction, you turn and walk yeah. it away. I mean, that's, hey, Joshua, you, I could just imagine her calling out. What what a cool reminder to all of us that sometimes the most aggressive moves are the simple, small moves that can actually change lives. Yeah. I mean, from like from a biblical perspective as well, it's like, you know, what's pretty neat, my, Joshua means God saves. And it's like, man, um, very 
very much so I believe that, you know, God had put her there to intersect um, in, within my path. So, yeah, like re- a really neat time for me to pivot. But still in my naive state, in my blind state, it's like, you know, I can just cover this up. And I couldn't. And I spent two years trying to cover it up. I spent two years trying to hide from, you know, the fact that that was true. So I would lie until I got found out. You know, I would try to date a girl, get found out. I would try to like, you know, I would, I would, I would get in a new group of friends and I would get found out. And you get found out like a girl you're dating finds you out and she's immediately turned off and drops you or she's like, yeah, oh, I, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah I, I rate. Yeah, oh, I rate. I rate. Yeah. Really? Why? Well, I mean, I, I think that's a, you know, a heck of a thing to keep from someone. Well, the fact that, if you keep it for like for two years, but they're like, I right, right after dating like a, a week. Well, I mean, there's something about like withholding truth. And it's like um, we, we naively can believe that, man, if I don't tell you this, it's best for you. And the reality is it's never the case. Just like when we're not willing to have difficult conversations with our kids, it's never about them. We say, well, they're not ready to hear this. No, you don't got the guts to share it. You don't You don't want to have difficult conversations. Just like even like among men, it's like you don't like you don't want converse, confrontation. But the reality is often when we lean into tension, that is where like the 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 most healing in, in the in the most like real like. I call them hot conversations. So honest, open and transparent conversations. Like that's where bonding happens. It's like, I don't agree with you. So I I could just say, okay, or I could say, well, why not? Or what do you mean by that? Or what do you think? And just lean into that. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I left that industry. I spent two years running, getting found out, um, having awkward conversations with people because I didn't, um, own up to that. And then I'm working at this gym. Over the two years, I worked my way up into a management position. And I um, I'm, I see this girl working out. And I go over to her and I'm like, hey, um, can I you know, can I take you out to dinner? And she's like, no, I'm okay. And I was like, gosh, I'm not used to that. <laughs> and um, she's like, well, you know what? Uh, we can go for a run. I was like, man. I'm a big, like, I want to do sprints. I want to do intervals. I feel like you want to go on like a 5K jog or something like that. I don't want to do it, but I will do it because I want to hang out with you. So I, I will run. And we meet to go on this run at this park. And I'm sitting in the car waiting for her to get there. And I just feel this overwhelming sense of, man, you better tell that girl the truth. Right away, first, first run. Yeah, yeah, like you better tell her the truth. And it's just like I had this like, this lump in my throat where just like, I cannot lie to this person. And, you know, we, we, our run never turned into a run. It, it, it was started as a walk and stayed a walk. And I'm just like, Hey, I want to tell you something. Um, I've done a little bit of porn and she was like, what? You watched it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like super confused. And I was like, okay, I'm being vague because I'm trying to do what I feel like I should do, but I don't want to do it in the totality that needs to be done. And then I'm just like, all right, Josh, man up, you know? And I'm like, and I spill my guts, you know, I tell her everything, you know, I tell her, you know, I, you know, I, I, everything bad I've ever done. I feel like I'm like, man, when I was, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was underneath our porch, 
I took my mom's Aquanet and her lighter and I, you know, nearly burned down the house. I blamed it on my brother. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the and, first date. This isn't even a date date. This is a run. And right away, you're just everything. Yeah, this is not even a date. Like, I barely know this person. And she looks me in the eye and just like, she's like, I cannot believe what you just said. Like, I did not expect that. And then she's like, and then she, she doesn't say anything for what felt like an eternity, but she just didn't say anything. She just kept looking at me and looked down and looked at me. And she's like, well, I want you to know this. Um, a person is not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever do. I believe that God defines who someone is. Do you know who God is? And for me, I was wired to be that that person. Um, I call it the first date mask. I don't know who I am, but I'm going to be whoever you want me to be, so that you like me. And I was like, yeah, and like I, yeah, you know, like I, I even knew like a little bit about like like cosmological argument. I was like, yeah, time, space, and matter. Da 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 da. And like I, John yeah, three sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tim Tebow. Woo. <laughs> um, but. And then she was like, okay, well, what's your prayer life like? Are you like plugged in commune in into community anywhere? Like what like what does your walk with Jesus look like? And then I was just like, I just can't fake it anymore. You know, she's like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And she's like, Well, okay, well, you know, when I was in seventh grade, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and my life has not been perfect. Um, both of my, you know, my family is Christian. Um, it's a big part of my life. Uh, this is the church community that I'm plugged in. Um, I, I, I try my best to pray every day. I try to allow who God is um, to bleed over into the decisions I make on a daily basis. I don't always get it right, but um, that's who I am. Um, do you like tacos? I was like, what? <laughs> what? Wait, What? Because I thought for sure that once she said that and she heard what I said, I, she was going to say, take a hike. And yet she was like, well, tell me about your family. What, you know, what, are, what are some of your dreams? Like, what do you like? And to be honest, like, man, I, I didn't know. Like, she was asking me, like, like, deep questions about my life. And like, who do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish? What does your future look like? And I, you know, I was like, for me, it was like I was drowning and then now I had a lifeboat, but I was like, you know, rose on the Titanic. I was holding on to a door, you know, in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew that I could only float for so long because I believed, a matter of fact, there's there's no future for me. There's no way I'll ever be a husband. There's no way I'll ever be a father. There's no way that I'm going to have an impact on this world. There's no way. She She just looked me right there in the middle of my mess and was like, okay, well, you, you don't have to be perfect. Jesus is perfect. And I know that I'm not perfect, but I've surrendered my life to him. And that's, you know, that's the deciding factor in how I live my life. And we just have this great conversation and we text like, you know, high school idiots for, you know, mm -hmm. a, a week. And then she said, Hey, um, this, it's not the church that I normally go to, but the gym that we go to, there's a church that a lot of the members of the gym go to. Would you want to go check it out Sunday? And I was like, sure, um, let's do it. Because she's she had ultimately like cultivated this curiosity in me. It's like, if you're gonna, if you can respond to what I said like that, mm. I feel like I need to know more. Yeah, she gave you grace. You yeah, know? she's a person of grace, and she she did that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, 
And then we we get there and walk into the church, um, you know, big Baptist church, um, pretty contemporary. Um, and we walk in and there's this giant wooden plaque and it says, uh, we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was like, ah, I don't know. If you knew me, you wouldn't say you want to love me where I'm at. You'd probably say, I love you, but you need to stay outside. Like maybe that. But I walk in and, and, you know, I'm thinking about that and we sit down and, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's like the, the setup is cool. You know, the, the music is cool, like whatever. Um, and then this pastor walks on stage. And for me, like I grew up going to church. I grew, I went to a very strict, very legalistic Southern Baptist church where if you had a wrinkle in your shirt, you're going to hell. So, um, you know, like, and then this guy walks up in jeans and a t-shirt and he starts talking about Jesus. Like he's his friend. Hmm. Like I heard it before, but in that moment, what happened was, is I saw the father for who he was. Mm, mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit obviously like softened my heart and allowed me to re- receive Christ. But um, like in that moment, like it all made sense. And it was so overwhelming. It, it was like a weight was taken off of me. And it wasn't just the porn. It was believing that I was inadequate my entire life. Longing yeah. for a father my entire life, then all of a sudden I hear that the father loves me so much that he sacrificed his son and his son willingly died where he could have done anything in that moment. Yet he went to the cross, suffered and died anyway because he loves me. Yeah, well, and let's let's fast forward a little bit here. We don't have time to get into all the all the all the story, but fast forward. You are a pastor now. Yeah, so you know, eight, eight hey, years pastor. later, and the amazing part of that story—that girl is my wife. That girl that is, <laughs> that girl that I went on that walk on. Uh, we've been married for six years. We have three amazing boys who are four, two, and one. And um, yeah, so so what I love is God has given me a platform to share my story. But it's like I get I get all these opportunities, and it's like they ask me the same question. Like I love being on these secular like platforms because they always ask me the same question. It's like, how did you get from here to there? And the and the pivot was in my that happened in my life was that I realized I wasn't a Christian. When I realized I wasn't a Christian, when I when I realized that I was dead, and I couldn't do anything, and the thing that I was longing for was actually Jesus, and Jesus was the thing that I needed most. Then my life changed. When people come to your church, do they have an easy time or a hard time looking past you as a former porn star and looking to you as pastor? How many people, is that hard for people? Is that easy for people? I mean, I, I think that just my willingness to not allow my past to own me and I choose to own it, I'm leading from a vulnerability. So it's like, you can't, you can't hold something on my, over my head that I, that I, you know, very loudly, um, you know, share. So it's, it's not like I'm getting found out. So I, when I preach for the most part, it's like, you know, I, I love like a good, like expert, like expositional preaching where it's like, if I'm teaching on Acts 16, the story's good enough. I'm just going to read it. I'm not telling you to trust the Bible because, you know, what I say, but I am saying the Bible did transform my life because of what Jesus did. Yeah, it's hard to argue with a with a life that's transformed. 
Just, just yeah. it is. It's it, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. It really is. I, I'm also curious. The it's pretty well documented. We already talked about it earlier on in our in our time together. That you know when you look at porn and you see images of people that are just look perfect and beautiful and there's standards, a new standard for what sex should look like, which is all right. me focused, me consumed, and it's yeah. always meeting my needs. Uh, it, it really can mess you up in the actual bedroom. Um, oh, absolutely. I think, so a question that I get asked a lot is like, well, how did you um, find satisfaction regarding intimacy right, with That's your where wife? I was going to go. If it messes up people like, just watching you, but you're right. actually doing it. Right. Were you? What was your journey to, you know, real intimacy with your wife like? Yeah. So for for me, like my story is very specific because I meet my wife, I give my life to Jesus that week, and then we date, and then we get engaged, and we go through premarital counseling, and we were celibate. I had never experienced love when it comes to a, a man and woman relationship. It was lust. It mm. was. You know, what can you do for me? Take, selfish. Love is very different. It's actually the exact opposite. So I, when my experience with my wife, I fell in love and then experienced love. So the satisfaction that I experienced with her doesn't even compare because it's not even the same thing. Yeah, that's good. That's excellent. Man, this is, uh, this is uh, just a really, really good push for all of us. Because you're you're making aggressive moves here. I mean, coming out of an industry that we really paid well, uh, aggressively talking with your well now wife, but first girlfriend, saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out here and and do what you're doing." It's really it's really cool. What what are the things that people don't ask you that they should be asking you? Because I'm yeah. I'm wondering like, some of these questions I'm asking. I'm like, uh, are these the ones that everyone's afraid to ask, or is everyone always already asking these questions? Yeah, the the questions that don't get asked enough is like, how did I go from then then to now, in a practical way? Because for me, like, I I was geared to have sex. Like yes. I was like that's what, who I was. Number one, I had to get in a trusted relationship with people that would both encourage me and hold me accountable. I needed people to say, hey, that's not okay. How did you but do that? Who were those people? How'd you find them? I was really blessed. Well, the same, the same way that I kind of stumbled upon my wife, uh, I stumbled into the church that I gave my life to Christ. In, and I was like, hey, um, is, can I talk to a pastor? And I was like, hey, I feel like God wants me to build a boat. And he's like, you're nuts, but let's hear it. <laughs> and I was feel like I, I, I have this story that I want to share with people because I, I feel like it's impactful. Um, and, and I feel like I need to know the Bible to like tell it appropriately. And I met this guy, Andrew. He just, um, he, he'd, he's like a few years out of DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. And he, he'd moved to Raleigh to help plan another campus for this church. He put his arm around me and is like, okay, you know, we'll meet for 30 minutes and I'll teach you how to read the Bible. We'll go over basic, you know, observation, interpretation, application. And that 30 minutes turned into three hours and that three hours turned into um, the last eight years. You know, he he mentored me uh, 15 to 20 hours a week in person for the first like three, three and a half years um, while I interned at that church was willing to like spur me along. Right. So like it, sometimes it sucked and sometimes it was hard. And uh, he told me things that I didn't want to hear, 
the biggest thing for me is he taught me how to learn. Like that was huge for me because for me, it was like, okay, I need to do things at, like, like this. It's like as, as someone, um, like I'm not someone who's very visually stimulated. I'm not a visual learner. And he just like, okay, um, well, let's, let's do some auditory stuff and let, you know, let's write some stuff down and then you teach it back to me. And, and that was the process in which I'm like, okay, I'm getting this. I like this. And, and all of a sudden I could replicate it and teach it to someone else. Um, so for me, it was just like him spending time with me doing a deep work, you know, over a lot of time. And then I had to be, I had to set like radical boundaries for myself. I, I had to do crazy stuff. Like I could not touch myself. So I, I had to get like, I, I thought like. You couldn't masturbate. You're saying you couldn't but, touch but yourself. But not even that, like in the shower. Like I had to get like a loofah. Like I. Really? Well, what do you mean by that? Explain that. Why? Like if, if, if my hand would literally touch my genitalia, like it would trigger me and I, I would end up like masturbating or something like that. Or wow. like, want, like, like wanting to like have these, like, you know, these thoughts or whatever. So for me, I had to like radical boundaries. I couldn't say, I didn't take my phone in the bed, the, the bedroom or the bathroom. Um, you know, I didn't take any technology in the bedroom or the bathroom. Um, I, I could not touch myself at any times. Um, you know, like software on like all my smart devices. I didn't, I didn't watch cable. You know, it's like it, even a long time ago, it's like, it's much worse now, but, um, right. I, I, I could, and, and then for me, it's like, I had a hard time going into gyms, so I wouldn't go into a sauna if it was co-ed. Um, I just had to like be like really radical with my boundaries because I just knew that like, I couldn't like, I, I, I'm not like wired where I could be behind a girl on the Stairmaster and not look and then lust. And then like, you know, like who knows where that was going to lead. Hmm. So it's just like, I had to commit to these things that m people might say, that's ridiculous, man. Like for me, it's like, gosh, almost for a decade, I was having sex for a living. So I, it wasn't just me. It was how I saw people. So right. God's love had to invade my heart and cleanse my mind. And that didn't happen in a moment. It happened over years of obedience and work. And it's like, I literally had to let God's word wash over me. And then I could see people as who they were because I started see, to see people as God saw them. Did your, did your um, life in the industry, did it, did it help you at all in satisfying your wife or was it all destructive? Oh, I mean, in, in that regard, all destructive. Hmm. Um, you know, it's like, it wasn't like techniques that you picked up that you, that she's thankful for something like that. It was just, it was all, there, there was nothing usable from that in your, in your actual bedroom and in, in a redemptive way. No, hmm. I mean, um, I, no, I, but I would say, the things that I did glean from that was like an under, like an understanding of production and under like the ability to do editing, um, understanding blocking and lighting, um, communicating, uh, like, you know, if I, if I walk on a stage this, you know, 10,000 people there, I'm not intimidated because after you do some of the things I've done, it's pretty hard to make you nervous. <laughs> you know, it's like I'll get anxious because I care, but I'll never get nervous um, many of the things that like were going to destroy me, God has like redeemed and repurposed and shifted not only my influence, uh, my experience, and like 
I think at the end of the day, what people need to know is like, regardless of how you're living your life, like you still are this version of you that you have these gifts and talents that you can misappropriate, like you can misuse your giftings. But if, if yes. you, but if you surrender them to God, in some cases he will unlock things that weren't there, but more often than not, you're still you, you're just moving in the wrong direction, using the things that God has given you in the wrong way. But man, if you let God, you know, repurpose those things and shift them in the right direction, all of a sudden it's like, man, everything I'm doing, it's not necessarily easy, but gosh, like. When yep. you're when you're in that place, it's like, man, I was made to do this. Like when I stand on stage and I preach, it's like there's nothing, there's nothing that I've ever done in my life that even comes close to feeling, man, this feels natural. This gives me joy. I get so excited about doing this. Man, I want everyone to experience that. I want everyone to experience doing the thing that God made you to do. Yeah, it can't be a buzz. I've been off off of my day job responsibilities for several weeks and just came back this last weekend and preached for the first time to a live audience. And I was really, really nervous about it going in. Just, ah, I haven't done this for seven weeks. Yeah. I don't know if I'm rested up enough. I don't know if, if I'm ready, yada, yada. And man, it was, it was, it was a gas. I just felt the spirit of God and prompted me. And it was, it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun when, you know, when our job is in the right circumstances, it's very fulfilling and very fun yeah. for sure. A hundred percent. I'm curious like, sorry to hang out in the sex thing so much. I, I could talk church and Bible with you all day long, but I can talk church and Bible with a lot of different people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't talk sex with you or someone like you for, like, never have. This is fascinating. So here we go. Here's another one. When I got married, I was, I was one of those weird ones. I was a virgin when I got married. But, I mean, I, I wasn't sexually pure. I was right. a virgin, like wasn't inside of another woman, but I was yeah. sexually pure. I mean, masturbation was just my thing. and I could talk about that for an hour. Yeah. My question, though, is I, I came in the marriage. Libby wasn't a virgin. It was a, a little bit of a hang-up for me for a bit. We should have talked about that actually much more before we actually got married. Yeah. It was a bit of a hang-up for me. It shouldn't have been as much of a hang-up as it was, but it was. And I, I wonder... What kind of hang up is it then for your wife on your honeymoon night? I mean, did, was she like over it all good way she goes? Was there was there a process she had to go through? Yeah. So I mean, again, like pretty unique circumstance, but like my wife had never seen porn. You know, had like dated, had two boyfriends her entire life. Um, hmm. So it it was just like this. You know, it's just like you you're naive to what you don't know, right? So it's like. I, I didn't, I thought that, you know, a medium well steak at Outback was the best of the best. And then, you know, I, I had, a, a, you know, a marbled ribeye from Cut or or Mastro's or, or something like that. It's like, oh, this is incredible. Or Precinct or Jeff Ruby's, shout yeah. out to Cincinnati fans, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it, it was a... Uh, a product of like, th this is something I've never been exposed to. So what it, it wasn't problematic. Um, but I, I can that's absolutely, awesome. I can absolutely agree that like, that's, that could be something. And more often than not, it's your expectations. Um, we are living for other people's expectations. And we, instead of resting in who God says we are, because if we operate out of acceptance and we already have that because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, then I don't need to prove anything to you. Like, being me and being my most authentic self is enough. 
but we believe it's yeah. not because we think that we need likes and and all this other stuff to affirm and validate us. So, so if, if I've got if if guys are struggling and women too, I assume, but I'm I'm understanding the sign says men are much more. Uh, vision driven in terms of pictures and images in the average woman. But if, 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 if as a guy, I'm dealing with images that my wife can't live up to, or my sex life can't live up to, is it, it's gotta be a lot worse. If you're not just dealing with images, you're dealing with actual memories of what you've done, or did God provide some sort of healing there as well? Yeah. I mean, for me, that was the one thing that was instantaneous. It's like, Hmm. I, I've, I could try hard to remember that's st- like some of those instances and I can't. Wow. So that, that was something that very like scales that's from awesome. my eyes. Like, um, <laughs> because, because like for me, um, that was the thing that the two years that I was out of the industry, I had, I had like night terrors every single night. And it was always that like I was reliving something, but someone who was in my life currently was pointing out, it's like, you're still that guy. Look at you. 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 So what's your, what's your future here? What's next for you? Uh, I, I see like two very clear things you could aggressively go after. I don't know if they could be one the same or not. Obviously building the church, you're part of your, you know, you got all the marks. I mean, you're for, if you want to be a mega church pastor, there's a couple things that generally happen. You got to know enough Bible. You got to be good looking, at least not really ugly and awful looking. <laughs> and, and you've got to be, um, you've got to have communication skills, right? So you got the, all those things we've obviously seen right now. And then yeah. you've also got this history and insight in terms of the sexual sexuality of our country. Are those two things coming together in your ministry or do you see those things as separate things or what's, what's the future? Do you have a vision of what God wants for you and your future? Yeah. I mean, for me, like I want to disciple men. I want to pastor pastors. So, you know, that, that's what I, I foresee for myself. I want to be someone who can have, uh, honest, open, transparent conversation with people who are high level leaders. So not just pastors, but, um, that's, that's something that, um, I'm passionate about just equipping leaders and just being an ear to listen. Um, cause I've been a lot of, I've been a lot of places and I've been on a, a lot of levels that some people might not get to. And I think that, you know, that's part of that experience that I've gleaned. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in five years or so, I, I just want to pastor, a physical location and preach until I'm so old that, you know, some, some elders say, Hey, uh, you showed up today without pants on. You're not that guy anymore. I need to get <laughs> out of here. You know, you're, you're old and delirious, but yeah, like that's, and for me, it's like, I, I that's a, le- that's the legacy I want to leave for my kids. So you're not pastoring at a physical location right now then? Um, so I'm on the, so I, I've been on the teaching team at a church, but for the most part, I do okay. itinerant ministry. So my wife and I, we have uh, a ministry, but I travel and speak at different churches um, for the most part and do, you know, I, there's projects that I do. So I, in Dallas this past week, I brought together like an NFL chaplain, a psychologist, a, a pastor from Los Angeles. And um, I'm doing these projects where we're having these like hot conversations, right? So this round table talk. And we're just like, what is it like? What does failure look like in your life? Um, what did you learn from it? What was that aggressive pivot? You know, what is that aggressive move that you made in your life? Because repentance can't be passive; it has to be aggressive. Like I have to aggressively move in the in a different direction. Not only do I have to understand that what I was doing or what I did or what I you know what what it happened to me, 
Like, I understand, like, okay, that's not best for me. That can't control me. That's not who I am. But I have to aggressively move in a different direction. So, like, that, that, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Man, I really appreciate how open, vulnerable, honest you've been with us as we come to wind down. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, and you I, could I say no. You could say, yeah, Tom, you're just such a perfect interviewer. You just are amazing. Yeah. You can say that too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you are amazing, and I, I love our time together. Um, I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that um, we we could uh, choose a topic and talk about it for another forty five minutes. But um, yeah, I think I think we covered all the bases. So, Joshua, if someone wants to uh, get a hold of you or follow you or see what's going on with you, go ahead and tell us how to do that. Yeah, so all of my social media is I am Joshua Broom. If it doesn't have a blue blue check mark, it's not me. There's hundreds of fake accounts, so all of my social media is verified. So uh, if it's not verified, it's not me. And if you want to get a hold of me, joshuabroom.me is my website. And there's a contact form on there, and I will have someone get back to you ASAP. Joshua Broom, this has been great. This is the uh, first person I've talked to who has your past, and I'm thankful that it is your past. I'm excited about your present and your future. Man, you've really uh, gotten given us a lot of lots of stuff to think about, and you have been aggressive in the most healthy of ways. So, way to go, Joshua Broom. Check him out. Very, very thankful for you. Hey guys, I don't know if you learned anything here, and I mean guys in the unisex way, not just guys, like men and women here. I don't know if you learned anything here, but uh, let's put something into practice here. Maybe you've got to put some controls on your phone. This is not a... um this is not a men's podcast where we just keep talking about pornography and not masturbating again and again and again. But I know it's a deal. I know it's something that can trip us up. So maybe that's something you're going to aggressively do is you're going to aggressively put some controls in your life like Joshua has for him. Maybe maybe you are going to tell your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend something about you that you haven't told them because you have a level of shame about that. Maybe you are going to, I don't know what it is, but do something. If this podcast is just about, oh, I never heard from a porn star before. If that's all this is for you, we're not doing our job. We may as well go out of business. So put something into action. Be aggressive. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Dude, that was freaking great. It's freaking great. Really awesome. I, I hope you didn't, um, hope I wasn't, um, I don't know, pushing too hard on various graphic details there. Oh, no. I mean, I think, again, I mean, it, it's through uh, me, like me painting a clearer picture as possible of what it actually is. You know, it's like I've, I've had the opportunity to, you know, I, I need was to live my dick. That really turns yeah. me on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, just like, like, that's just the reality of what yeah. it is. Yeah. So, yeah, like I, I've been with uh, like Nicosi, like the National Coalition Opposing Sexual Exploitation in D.C., like advocating for legislation to, you know, better regulate and put like preventative measures um, for for kids consuming pornography. Sixty one percent of pornography consumption is accidental with kids under 15. Really? And it's just accidental. Like, well, because if you wow. Google anything, if you Google anything wow. and you scroll enough, you'll find you'll find something you don't want to see. 61% 61% is accidental first time exposure under 15 wow. yeah wow still taking notes on you 
Yeah, I mean, and, and then the fact, like, the, the pornography that's on there, um, the level of coercion and the level of consent that's on those sites, it's like there's content that's on those websites that's literal rape, that someone raped someone, drugged them and raped them, filmed it, put it on there, and that's been, that's been being monetized for a decade. That person's in prison, but Google says that there's no evidence of coercion, so they're not going to take that imagery down. Mm. Gosh. I love that you know God has, has given me the, the influence that he's given me, but also the voice that I can be in rooms where you know I, I sat in front of 35 different state representatives and talked about legislation that's going to Congress um, this fall and then in this spring um, about age verification. Because like right now, you can just go on any site and just plug in a fake birthday. But what they're trying, the, the Earn It Act, um, if that passes, then you will have to provide legitimate identification through like an encrypted source where it's like, do I want to provide my driver's license number to get on this site? So um, I I think that'll kind of, they're kind of going the same approach like cigarettes, right? So if I, if I provide enough data of the detriment that it causes, and then I raise the barrier to to access it, right? So if for a cigarette, they raised the price and then displayed um, how destructive it was to the lungs and, you know, like Mm. with real data, so if you show people that, it's like, it's killing people. You know, it's like with porn, it's like, this is causing sex trafficking. This is leading to rape. This is leading to suicide. And you share that. And it's like, regardless of if you're Christian or not, it's like, you can't, I mean, if you just look at that and, you know, look away from it, like that, that that's a, a you know, a, a something that you really need to think about. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, brother. Great job today. All right. See you, man. Right, we'll see you. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.